There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster, baby. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo, and we've got a full house today. We've got Peaches, we've got Chris, and we've got Robbie, and we're going to talk about everyone's favorite movie, The Eternals. There's actually Guys, six more of us. Um, there's Shiva over here. Yeah. We're going to spend two-thirds of this movie introducing all of our new hosts, and then we're going to get into the episode. <laughs> but then we're going to run out of time. But then we're going to run out of time and just kind of rush through the end. And then Peaches is going to run into the sun. Oh, Chris is going to be like, guys, Chris is going to be like, guys, I can't do this. I'm leaving. We're going to leave right leaves. before uh, we do the ratings. Say, I don't agree with ratings. <laughs> I respect your, your uh, reasoning about wanting to do ratings. I won't stop you, but I'm not going to help you. <laughs> Can I bike into the sun instead of running? Yeah, you're probably better at that. Okay, thank you. I bet if you checked your uh, stats over the year, I, I, how many miles have you pelotoned? Like, have you actually uh, pelotoned far enough to go to the sun? Probably I, not. I know I've pelotoned for mid-7,000 minutes. Okay. So we're, what, 98 million miles from the sun, something like that? Yeah, I'll, I'll look up and see if I can find mileage, and I'll let you know. Okay. I'll let the fans know. Yeah. Nice hat. Thanks. Oh my god, it's a Bucky's hat. Yeah, hang on, let me take off my headphones so you can see it actually in, in, uh, in action. Listeners, you are missing the coolest hat that might exist on the planet. It's my new grilling hat. Oh you, boy. The you Bucky's look like a real logo Texan is on the now. inside of the brim. Robbie got me this sweet Tampa Bay Rays um, apron that I'm going to wear while I'm grilling, and then I've got this nice Bucky's hat. I'm all set. That's great. You're the, you're the playoffs in the early 2000s. Wait, he took the hat off. Sorry, I had to. I can't hear you. It's a grilling hat. (laughs) (laughs) We're already off. We're already off track, just like this movie. Uh, We're talking all about Eternals today. Um, Before we do that, I forgot to do this at the end of like the last three episodes. If you want to support the show, you can do so. Patreon.com/slash Assembly Required. Join our patron exclusive Discord. Come chat with us with our initial opinions. If you want to hear our our initial raw opinions about things like Multiverse of Madness. Come, come check us out. Also, this episode is going to be, it lives in a post-Multiverse of Madness and all of Moon Knight world. We're not going to intentionally spoil those, but there's a chance they could come up because, you know, they're still fresh on our mind. So go in this uh, knowing that th- those things might be spoiled at some point. We're not going to like go into the full synopsis of either of them, but bits and pieces could be spoiled. I mean, You've clearly we'd rather talk about a Bucky's hat. In the movie we're <laughs> recording. Like I said, today we're discussing Eternals. It's directed by Chloe Chloe Zhao. Zhao, I believe. Zhao. Okay, yeah. perfect. In the beginning, Celestials created the sun. Oh, I'm sorry. Our synopsis was written uh, from the moviespoiler.com. It's been written by Jeremy, so go check out Jeremy's work at the moviespoiler.com if you want to follow along with us as we're doing the podcast. In the beginning, the Celestials created the sun and other forms of life, but monstrous creatures known as Deviants began to run rampant. The leader of the Celestials, Arisham, 
brought forth an immortal group of superhumans known as the Eternals from the planet Olympia and sent them on their ship, the Domo, to Earth. Domo? I wish. We didn't talk oh, anything I about... We, we, we didn't um, give any comic... Uh, uh, like knowledge about this, mostly because we we only have surface right. level knowledge about the Eternals. We, Chris has talked many many times uh, on previous episodes. If you haven't heard him say this before, um, but the the writer uh, was a DC writer. Uh, was it Jack Kirby? Well, it was Jack Kirby. So one of the original Marvel guys who then went to DC to create the Fourth World, which is uh, the New Gods. So uh, the Planet of Apocalypse, oh. Dark Side. Granny Goodness, those are the two I know. Steppenwolf, that's the third one I know. Granny Goodness is the most important one. I don't care. I know Dark Dark Side's the big one, but come on. Granny Goodness is a little old lady. Is she a bad guy? Yeah. She raised uh, she the Dark is, Side. With hey, the name of uh, Granny Goodness? Ed Asner. Call back to uh, my recommend, my first recommendation on the show. Season three, Granny Goodness is one of the main villains. Oh, really? Of Young Justice, yes. Oh, Young oh, Justice okay. Season 3, Granny Goodness is one of the main villains. I'm sold. I'm She's sold. hilarious looking. I want her to be my grandma. No, anyway, um, Jack Kirby was unable to finish his Fourth World story, his New Gods story at DC. He went back to Marvel and just tried again with the Eternals, basically. Obviously, there are some changes to it and, you know, fit made to fit into the Marvel cosmology, except for the fact that all the gods were already established as existing. But then again, they do in DC as well, but they've, I, we've talked to, I think we even talked about this on the Moon Knight episode, how they, in the comics, they just kind of went, yeah, uh, Athena took Athena's name uh, to honor her because she helped them once or something. So that's why Mercury and Makari exist in the same universe and all that kind of crazy stuff. It'll be interesting to see how slash if they deal with it down the road in the MCU. It's weird that we have to go out of our way to explain why two characters can have similar names when we have like four Steves that are all on the same team at any given time. Well, there's that, but they never, (laughs) they never said that, uh, (laughs) and like, they never said that Peter Parker, uh, you know, lived the same life as Peter Quill or anything. I guess. But that's what they do say about, even in this, he says the little kid's like, oh, you're the goddess Athena. And she goes, drop the A. But Athena possibly does exist. We'll probably find out in two months. And that's like the I hadn't diff- even thought about that. It it even their reasoning still just doesn't line up and doesn't make sense. The perils because- of a vast connected universe. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, you could say similar things about the perils of a multiverse, so mm-hmm. uh and I will and eventually. <laughs> now, Robbie, you've got some insider information about this. You know yeah. someone who was maybe privy to seeing this movie before it was even released. Yeah, I have a good friend who um, got to see, similar to I did with Shang-Chi, she got to see a um, test screening of it. Um, and she and I went over some of the changes. And one of the ones was immediate. And it was the text scroll. And I had, an, I had an immediate reaction to the text crawl at the top of this movie. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I am not opposed to a text crawl at the top, start of a movie. But this one was bad because it, it was just like Times New Roman font written like a newspaper, like newspaper format in terms of miniature paragraphs. Just moving across slowly um, with uh, the, the key words highlighted like you would see in like, I don't know, like a training manual or something. <laughs> Like it just felt like w- watching 
a, a, like a website scrolling on my screen. Um, I'm going to no interrupt music, you right, like mm-hmm. right off the bat to say that mm-hmm. a lot of the dialogue in this movie was as if the viewers needed a training manual. So maybe that helped. So that's, so that's the other thing. I watched this text scroll and my friend let me know that, okay, that wasn't there in the original cut of the film, but a lot of people were saying that they were confused by what was going on. Um, Oh no, no, no. The text scroll wasn't about confusion. It was that there was tons and tons and tons of monologue explaining this at the start of the movie, slowing down the movie. And this was clear. The answer was to cut a bunch of that out and just put it at a text scroll at the, at the start of the film. My issue was that doesn't necessarily fix it because the text crawl is still good. Also in hindsight, I don't even think it was necessary. I think you could pick all this up as the movie went on anyway. It was like they were over explaining to us and yeah. kind of to your point peaches. I think that continued throughout the movie. Um, you know, the old adage tell don't show, right? Right. Absolutely. Try that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple other quick changes I noted uh, from talking to her. Um, it, it was cut down a lot. Lots and lots and lots was cut down. Uh, but one of the big pieces of feedback was also that no one bought the relationship between Icarus and Cersei. They saw no chemistry between them, didn't buy it. And so the the cut she saw did not have the really awkward, unnecessary sex scene. So what appears to have been their reaction to a panel of people saying, we don't buy this relationship is, okay, fine, we'll put a sex scene in there. Now you'll buy the relationship. I um, thought that that was something some that was mild like... mild thrusting and whispering, I love you. We'll right. I thought that the sex scene, and correct me if I'm wrong, I thought the sex scene was something that was like talked about beforehand. Like it, I thought it was something that they like had been like almost like bragging about. I, it was, yes, but it, I would they brag that about was, that. That was not sex to brag about. That was not. <laughs> that was them laying on each other for a minute and a half awkwardly. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, and then also the the fact that they were married was in the cut. She saw a like a twist towards the end of the movie. It was supposed to be right before the final battle. You find out we were married before, and no, so <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so they. They put it towards the beginning, I think, to establish their relationship a little bit more. Um, I have such an issue with withholding information from the audience for Mm -hmm. a twist when it is information that would enhance the story being told up to that point. I agree. Um, What what is it? Kinga? Another piece of feedback. Kingo. Kingo. Another piece of their um, feedback from the panel was that Kingo and his... Agent, they were the best best characters and the closest thing to having a human anchor point in the movie. Uh, and so it sounds like they just, everything they edited, they did not edit them. They left everything, which is why I guess there's a lengthy Bollywood segment because they didn't edit down any of his material because that ended up being what the audience in that panel gravitated to. Um, and let's see, there was something else. Same. Um, <laughs> uh, the celestial ending originally had no dialogue. He just captured Cersei and ran away, and that was it. So he didn't explain mm. the stakes from capturing them at the end. Um, the scene where Sprite really do that anyway. <laughs> uh, the scene where Sprite grows up was not originally in the film, um, and so their reaction was at the end. Sprite is talking about how all they've ever wanted to do is grow up. And they just felt like that came out of nowhere because that motivation was not shown at any point prior. So they showed it for three seconds to make up for it in the final edit. Um, and I think that's really it. I just, it was very interesting listening to her talk about how they did address the problems they discussed, 
but it feels like maybe they were running a little bit too deep to actually fix. Because uh, a lot of it boils down to, wow, there is too much in this movie. You think? Yeah. I think we might talk about that later, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> so the Eternals awaken, with Arisham choosing Ajak, Selma Hayek, to lead them. Icarus, Game of Thrones' Richard Madden, sees Cersei, not Game of Thrones, uh, Gemma Chan. Captain Marvels. Uh, <laughs> Captain Marvels. Uh, as she sees Earth for the first time and says, it's beautiful. They're joined by Thena. Angelina and he says, Julie. I'm Icarus. <laughs> yeah, we, could, we didn't believe they had chemistry. I wonder why. It's beautiful, isn't it? I'm Icarus. <laughs> like, I was talking about Earth. Like, <laughs> you, can call, you can call it Icarus. It is beautiful. You're right. Uh, Kingo, played by Kumal and Johnny Fasto, uh, played by Brian Tyree Henry. Drig, played by Gary Cogan, uh, also the Joker. Sprite, played by Leah McHugh. Uh, Makari, played oh, by... Oh, there are also Lord the Rock. Batman spoilers, sorry. <laughs> and Gilgamesh, played by Don Lee. The Eternals arrive in Mesopotamia in the year 5000 BC. Deviants attack the humans on the land before the Eternals start to fight. Thena wields her spear. Kingo fires energy blasts from his hands. Makari uses her super speed to attack, and Sprite casts illusions. Druig also manipulates the minds of the inhabitants to try and fight. After fending off the deviants, the Eternals introduce themselves to the humans. Chris. Yes. How do you feel about ancient aliens? Uh, they suck. Um, <laughs> Tell that to the Senate. Uh, no, those are, those are modern aliens that are a threat <laughs> to national security, maybe. <laughs> so that is different. So I believe I have talked about this on the show, and I might have even talked about it recently, so I'm not going to go on too long. Uh, but the whole ancient aliens theory that people have, and some people have it like it, like we know it from things like Stargate and this movie and and even and even Thor, you know, where it's like, what if the gods that we hear about in mythology were actually advanced alien intelligence who came to Earth and and taught the humans how to build things? and that explains the mythical stories the guy who propagated it uh, was eric von daniken so he is the one who's most famous for propagating it uh he's not the aliens guy from the history channel but he got it all started he wrote a book called chariots of the gods proposing this theory i was an anthropology major in college and i took a class uh that was called life in the universe it was a uh, it was an astronomy class that talked about the possibility of life being elsewhere. And I wrote a paper for that class, trashing giants of the gods. Uh, it is professional trash talker over here. That's me. Um, but yeah, it's it. If you really think about it, one, it is just super reductive uh, to think that, you know, people a long time ago couldn't figure out how to build the pyramids. Yes, it's incredibly impressive what they did, but it's not so impressive that it's impossible to believe. You know, they people could figure out math and engineering and physics back then. You know, maybe not, you know, to the degree that we get with computer modeling and everything, but it is nowhere near impossible that they could build such things. It is at best an ethnocentric viewpoint and at worst kind of racist uh, to think that, you know, the, the people in Mexico 
they couldn't have built uh, a, a temple like this. The people in Africa couldn't do that. Um, I, I, you know, I'll expand it to ethnocentrism because they also include, you know, the the Greeks and the Romans and even, uh, you know, like the Druids and other uh, uh, cultures throughout Europe get this stuff thrown in. Like, oh, what if Stonehenge was actually built, you know, as a as a prison for for Doctor Who or or whatever, you know? And uh, I know he's called the Doctor. I'm sorry. Oh, but, they got the new doctor too. He's the guy from yeah. Sex Education, and he's great. I'm he's I, I very, have to get very, up. very funny. I haven't watched since partway through Capaldi, and Russell T Davies is back, and I preferred his seasons to Moffat's. And they have they they've announced they announced yesterday that David Tennant and Catherine Tate are coming back for the 60th anniversary, and David Tennant is my doctor, and I'm very excited. Anyway, um, <laughs> is he the one that like? administers all your like shots does your physical yeah i go see him once a month for my allergies <laughs> see david Tennant every year and then he, oh, he does hello and he gives me a little he, shot he I does go, that weird tongue thing from goblet of fire <laughs> 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 he looks at me with intense eyes and says you're not allergic anymore and i'm not allergic anymore <laughs> great that's how i think jessica jones works i still haven't watched it <laughs> that's spot on yeah that's pretty that was good anyway yeah. uh, chris Don't sneeze while we're here, how about you, and I'm going to volunteer you for this, go over the Eternals and the gods that they are basically meant to represent. Yes, I will do that. I didn't close it. Good. Uh, so <laughs> Makari, the speedster, is Mercury, the messenger god of Greek mythology. The speedster. <laughs> well, Mercury is actually the Roman Roman god. Uh, Hermes is the Greek god. So the best boons. Yes, yes, definitely. And he loves Manwich. And he was Paul Schaefer in um, uh, the Disney animated Hercules. That's what I think of every time. Yep. Icarus is uh, an obscure mythological character. Icarus. I understand if you didn't catch that. They definitely don't <laughs> reference his story directly and then reference it again at the end. But Icarus is the boy. He, uh, he and his father Daedalus were locked in a tower. Daedalus was an inventor. They built wings uh of feathers held together with wax Daedalus said Icarus don't fly too close to the sun Icarus flew too close to the sun the wax melted he fell and died the end it was sad Cersei is Cersei now I know that sounds the same but you see in in this movie it's S-E-R-S-I but in Greek mythology uh, more specifically the Odyssey it's C-I-R-C-E they should have taken a moment to explain that yeah, uh, so she was a um, a witch, I believe. We, we decided, and uh, she uh, <laughs> the panel here has the decreed. panel declared that she was a witch. Uh, <laughs> strap a boulder to her, throw her in the lake. Yeah, she'll uh, turn the lake into sand, and she'll be okay. But anyway, that she was one of the obstacles that Odysseus encountered on his Odyssey back home. Um, they didn't call it; uh, he didn't call it an Odyssey because that would have been weird. That would be like if I. Uh, you know, talked about all my trips. I, I, I don't have a pun, so I'm not going to keep going. You're christening us with this yeah. information right now. Yeah. Anyway, so Athena. <laughs> Athena. We talked about that. Ajax is Ajax, who's also in Greek mythology. Uh, not actually a god, but an exceptional human uh, who was strong and brave, apparently second only to Achilles. And that one confused me because I didn't see 
where Ajax came from Ajax. Like, I wasn't seeing the comparison in the two. Apparently, this version of Ajax also represents Quetzalcoatl from um, Mesoamerican mythology. Okay. So there's a little bit of a, of a mashup going on there. Uh, Ajax in the comics, I think they gender swapped a few of the characters from the comics into this. I know Ajax was a male in the comics, not, but, you know, Salma Hayek's cool, so hire her. That's fine by me. Gilgamesh is Gilgamesh, uh, one of the first myths of Mesopotamia. Uh, Gilgamesh was, you know, another one of those demigod-type heroes traveled around with Enkidu. I actually never learned if it's supposed to be pronounced Enkidu or Enkidu. When I was in college, uh, I was—I mentioned this before, but I was a classical studies man for a little time. My professor always said, and I quote, Enkidu. Enkidu. So, mm-hmm. Enkidu. Enkidinkidu. I don't know um, if she was right, but she's the only person I think I've ever really heard say it out loud. She was a classics professor, so I'll trust her. I love Battle on the Big Bridge. <laughs> Speaking of Gilgamesh. Oh. When I was in high school uh, for one of my history classes, I for one of my projects, I did a radio show. Like I recorded it and it was the myth of Gilgamesh. I guess I was in middle school, actually. And the, and the thing I most remember from it was that at one point, Gilgamesh sleeps for like 10 years. And to do that, I recorded the Snorlax snore from Super Smash Brothers for the Nintendo 64 <laughs> off of my TV. That works. <laughs> What a nerd. Yeah, it's me. Uh, Crow, uh, who is the name of the Deviant, by the way, uh, that is in this movie for some reason. I hope we talk about that at some point, how his plot makes, like, just kind of goes nowhere. Yeah. Uh, Is apparently supposed to represent Cronus, the Titan of Time, I think. Yeah, the Titan of Time, yes. Yeah. Uh, And Festos is Hephaestus on this this website. Spelled it wrong, I believe. Yeah. or at least that's a spelling I've never seen before. But Hephaestus is, uh, you know, is very, you know, there's actually a bit of a, a correlation there. Uh, he was a, a what, was he like a blacksmith god? Yeah, he was like a like a god yeah. of the forge or something. Yes, like the that. forge. Yes. That, that, yeah, thank you. I wanted to call him a forger, but like, no, that's not right. He's not like making fake IDs. No. He... <laughs> then Eros, Harry Styles, is Eros, the god of love, aka Cupid in Roman mythology. Uh, Sprite is based on Puck and other fairies. Puck, who you might know from Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, the immortal bard, based in English folklore, you know, trickster fairy characters. Uh, Kingo is based on Kingu, who is a Babylonian god. And uh, Druig, no one can really figure out who Druig is supposed to be. There are apparently a few theories. Um, some are about how his name sounds a lot like Druid. There are maybe some Slavic deities that he might kind of line up with but that one is a little less clear than the others my favorite one of those is theta because i can just imagine because their like whole thing is how they like inspired the gods in there and i could just imagine a conversation in ancient greece where they're like what was the name of that lady you know the one she had the like the like spectral sword and then the shield and be like i don't remember it's um uh uh athena Athena! <laughs> God, these names are stupid. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I just... Look, I, I don't think Athena is a stupid name. I think calling her Athena when you should have just called her Athena just makes more... It, it's weird for them to be like, here's this 
name adjacent thing for half of them and then the exact same name for some of them and then it just doesn't i don't know i wish they had done all or nothing yeah yeah um and granted they changed the like they spelled icarus with a k instead of a c and oh they're mormon jump to london at the present day (laughs) where cersei now lives she goes to class where she is supposed to be giving a lesson and she finds her boyfriend dane whitman kit harrington game of thrones not like the Cersei who's not from Game of Thrones, but like the Icarus who is from Game of Thrones. <laughs> Filling in for her until she arrives. The lecture is interrupted by a large earthquake. Cersei has her students go for cover and uses her power to stop a large object falling off the wall from hurting a student. Cersei later celebrates Dane's birthday with Sprite and a few others. She gives Dane a ring from his family's history that she has kept for centuries. While walking on the streets, the three are found by a humongous deviant named Crow. That's Bill Sarsgaard? Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. I spent the whole movie going, wait, who was this? Because I remember it was somebody, and then I forgot to look. Weird. He's a little bit of everybody, you know? Sprite casts an illusion to hide from that, uh, to hide them from it. That's funny. (laughs) It. I know. Anytime it says (laughs) it, it is now funny. Uh, But the Deviant is able to spot them and goes after them, even after Deviants generally attack humans and not Eternals. Cersei and Sprite ready themselves for a fight before Icarus flies in and fires his laser eyes at the beast. Cersei uses her power to turn a runaway bus into rose petals. The Eternals see that Crow is able to heal itself before it escapes. Cersei comes clean to Dane about her life as an Eternal and what their purpose has been, asks her why they never helped during the Great wars or when thanos attacked and she explains that they were introduced uh instructed excuse me to never interfere in the orders of mankind so as to not hinder their development as a society cersei but also hey, te- let's uh let's have a whole ass guy who invents shit for them <laughs> what's an ass guy oh you know. <laughs> right here guilty as charged <laughs> kramer <laughs> you're welcome robbie since when do you get those references since three days ago when that episode was playing in my house. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. Cersei also tells Dane that she and Icarus were technically together for centuries, but things didn't work out. She later goes back to her apartment to reconvene with Sprite and Icarus, resolving that they need to go get Ajax and the other Eternals together to fight Crow. Flashback to 575 BC in Babylon. After an intense battle with some deviants, Ajax forms a link to speak to the Arish to speak with Arisham, excuse me. She expresses respect for his grand plan, but appears to have a slight objection as it pertains to the people of Earth. Arisham tells her not to get attached to them and to follow through with the plan. Ajax goes back to the lair where Fastos is developing a steam engine to provide for mankind. The Eternals live amongst society openly. Uh, with Sprite using her powers to entertain children with stories that come to life through her illusions. Meanwhile, Icarus's feelings for Cersei have been growing over time. He admits his love to her, which she reciprocates. They make love outside at night and are seen married later during the age of the Gupta Empire with all of the other Eternals there for them. I would like to share with you all, if you haven't rewatched this recently, I watched this on Disney+. Plus. The sex scene is one of the scenes... That they filmed with an IMAX camera. Well, good. So up to that point, it was establishing shots and like one big fight scene. And then that. I'm glad we had the extra space. I feel that's important. Well, Chris, you got to understand that convinces the audience that they're a couple. So it has to be has to be an IMAX so the audience can understand. 
they they made such a big deal about like Marvel's first sex scene. Oh, we're making a you know we're we're growing up, whatever. And you know it, it, it wasn't good. Like it smacks so much. It doesn't well, smack know, it so much here, about the way. But, look, well, let me just say it wasn't good. <laughs> look, I so mean, <laughs> you're probably the most successful of any of us. <laughs> you're a father. <laughs> Yeah, it you've at least so done much it the way, <laughs> It reminds me so much of the way Zack Snyder talks about his take on comic book movies. Oh. Like, my Batman could get assaulted in prison. That could happen in my universe. That's like, not what he said. I know it's not what he That's said. That's not what I, he said. I appreciate you toning it down <laughs> from what he said, because what he said is monstrous. But uh, oh. You know, let me talk about something here since you brought up Zack Snyder, because it's a good segue. I have a really big problem. Um, and Robbie, we're going to get to your points in just a moment. That's fine. I, I have a really big problem with the character Icarus in this movie. And it is because he is written like a bad version of Superman. And that's like my biggest problem is like he is written and it's intentional. He's written as Superman as a bad guy, but he's written how everyone writes Superman nowadays, which is this like cold, stoic character. Not everyone, but like like Mm -hmm. henry cavill superman is very guilty of this of like this like cold stoic has never smiled before in his entire life except for that one scene where he had a mustache and they had to cgi the smile uh uh and he's just it's written so poorly like he's so he's like a wet noodle man he's so bland i am not a person who believes that superman is inherently a boring character but if you do a superman character like Mm -hmm. this he is yep exactly I mean, we'll just, you said we'll get to my point in a minute. This is actually my point later on. I'll just get to it now. We'll switch spots because, because I completely agree with you. I completely agree. And I, okay. I've never seen Richard Madden in anything. I need to watch 1917 and I want to watch rocket man, but I don't think I've ever seen Richard Madden in anything. So I don't know if this is him as an actor or if it's how he's directed, but this is the most boring hero I have ever seen in any medium. It's like, I, 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 I don't know if it's the direction or not, but he's just, he's as interesting as white paper. I, I, I just, he gives no emotion. He says nothing interesting. He has nothing, he has nothing to add to the plot. His relationship is unbelievable because it's there just because the screenwriters tell us it's there, not because anything makes me It's because he's Icarus. (laughs) Right. You know, as Peaches points out, as Peaches points out, his reaction to someone trying to start conversation with him about the beauty of the universe is to name himself. Like, I just, I, Everyone knows Icarus because he keeps introducing himself to <laughs> He walks in, Icarus is here, baby! I wish he did that. That would be interesting. It's, it's weird because he has like two scenes where he has some character, but right. in every and other jarring. scene. Yeah. Right. It, the, the part where he shows emotion over... over you know, killing what's her face? I can't keep track of the movie. Killing what's her face? Like that's that's the. It's so weird because he doesn't show that otherwise. Every other scene, he's just wooden. He has no personality. He has no facial expressions. He has no interactions with the other characters in ways that are believable. That he has some sort of relationship with them. His power set is boring as well. Ooh, he flies and shoots lasers. I get what they're going for here, but it is still boring. He exists to be a Deus Ex Machina in every fight scene. That's just all he does. And then have this twist at the end. And I kind of saw the twist coming, but the twist doesn't have the emotional weight they want it to because at no point did I care about this person or his relationships to the other characters. And so it just ends up being boring and uninteresting. And then he just literally, literally, literally kills himself in the sun. And I just, 
he is such an uninteresting character, and he is, if not the main character, then the primary secondary character in this film. And he is completely disinteresting. And to Chris's point, it's like they're playing him as the way that people think Superman is when they haven't actually read any Superman. It, that's kind of what it feels like. But that's not good. Like, it's not... Mm-hmm. It'd be it'd still be bad, but at least a little bit better if what they were doing was like playing on the trope of Superman. Like, uh, uh, this is what you think Superman's like. They weren't even doing that. It's just he's just a boring, uninteresting character. And I can't believe that an MCU film had someone this who just made you want to go to sleep so badly for the entire film as their focal point. I I don't know. It was terrible. Yeah, two two thoughts. One, the idea of a bad Superman character can be done well, but it's not unique or subversive at this point. I mean, we've had Watchmen, uh, we've had The Boys, we've had Invincible, we've had Injustice, we've had literal bad Superman. And, you know, some of those are good. You know, so I don't think that it is necessarily a bad idea. I do think we're getting to the point where it's a bit overdone, and it's certainly not as, like I said, subversive or shocking anymore, uh, because we've seen it so many times now. It's a trope in and of itself. What if Superman, but bad? Uh, the other thing is, I have a theory that just came to me, and you can shut me down if you want. He could have been an interesting character if Dane Whitman had been in this movie more. Because playing him as a contrast to, you know, old boyfriend and new boyfriend, having that as a contrast throughout, I enjoyed it when he showed up to fight the Deviant and they had that little moment together. It's like, oh, you must be the pilot. You know, I, and I, that could have been interesting having this 5,000 year old, mm-hmm. whatever. I agree with you. Basically God and the new guy that's like, okay, I knew you had a long-term ex-boyfriend, didn't realize he was literally Superman. You know, that, that could have been interesting. How could you have fit this in this movie? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You probably couldn't have, but it might have made this character at, you know, I, would have given us some like something interesting to hook onto with this character. Yeah, more on that later too. I agree with you, but mostly because I wanted more Kit Harrington. Because why you put Kit Harrington in a movie and not utilize him ten times more is beyond me. Why wouldn't you use the shit out of Kit Harrington? <laughs> That's because they had thirteen thousand other characters that they needed to talk about that were way less interesting i think look chris and to your point of you can write superman to be a bad guy and there is a way to do it interesting the problem with this version of it is that this version of it has the personality of a cardboard box thank you is so unbelievably uninteresting but he's a bad cardboard box (laughs) <laughs> that bad boy for like two seconds yeah <laughs> and then he feels bad about it and he cries he just he just doesn't have he just doesn't doesn't do anything it's also really funny because um, my wife is actually bailey who's been on the show before is a stand for this movie she actually likes this movie and you know now we have to think about things like divorce so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, golly no she's allowed to like this movie and i'm allowed to shit on all over it because i have a podcast uh yeah icarus is just boring but it is really funny that he literally flies into the sun no it's not it's so dumb it's so no 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 no. it is funny because it is dumb 
Uh, it okay. is so dumb that it has become funny. I am not saying that they 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 achieved their goal of making me feel a t- particular type of way with Icarus <laughs> flying into the sun. I think it is so unbelievably dumb that they were like, what do we do with Icarus? Let's make him fly into the sun. And then that was just... They were like, let's I, go home, boys. Like they're in like a writer's room, patting themselves on the back, like yeah, right. popping champagne bottles. I know we're ju- I'm jumping to the very last thing in the movie by saying this, but like that whole scene just pisses me off so much for so many reasons. Obviously, it's too on the nose, but they make fun of that story earlier in the dialogue when Sprite says that that's just a story that was made up <laughs> in a so she she tells people that it's a made up story, and then he's like, "Well, I guess I got this idea from Sprite. I'll fly into the sun. This will be tragically ironic." Yeah, but the the main reason I hate it is because I just don't like this this plot device that happens in movies where a character does a bad thing, and they think the only way I can be redeemed is if I murder myself. Like I just think that that's stupid, and. I and- I will add to your point that I forgot to bring this up. That was brought up in the panel my friend was in as well. There were several people that were upset about that, thought it was lazy, and several people also thought it was offensive. It's, yeah, like it's, mm. I, I just don't, you're not solving anything. Like, yeah, you did a couple bad things, but compared to spending millions of years uh, letting celestials devour planets you like murdered one of your friends one time and now you're like i can't be redeemed better fly into the sun better make that stupid story that sprite told true (laughs) i I just it it doesn't make is is bailey of the mind that he's not actually dead i don't Um, know if she was trolling i think we had this conversation once like oh you didn't see him die because uh, chris and i talked about this earlier and like maybe he's not dead but isn't the like part of the plot twist that we find out later that these Eternals are like robots made on a different planet. Could you yeah. just make another Icarus? Go ahead, fly into the sun. We'll make a new one. <laughs> like, we'll just we'll get an Icarus twenty twenty two on the. This one's got <laughs> GPS and um, I don't know backup camera. Yeah, backup, yeah, backup camera. camera. <laughs> Built in Bluetooth. It's got a uh, <laughs> dual seat AC. <laughs> one cheek is hot the other cheek is cold oh yeah that's that's the dream baby i, I want an even temperature on my cheeks <laughs> makes me feel alive oh man that's fun because we're i don't uh, chris has gonna have some nice things to say about this movie but i don't know if for the rest of this that we are going to have too much more nice to say yeah I spoiler i like this more than the rest of them but you'll see where it ends up in my rankings too well, it's really interesting to me. No, because I, you're going to leave at the... You're going to be like, I don't know. Oh, wanna, true. That's you right. You already declared. That's right. I'm morally gonna... opposed to rankings. <laughs> it's it's really interesting to me because this would have been before my friend had gone to the test screening, but I had a friend who's a little bit connected to people in the Marvel studio. And he was talking about when this movie was, you know, ending its production cycle, there was talk like the people thought that, you know, the people in the studio, the people associated with the film thought, this is it. This is the crossover MCU film. This is the one that's going to be Oscar bait. That's going to transcend the genre. That's going to just really set the bar over what a superhero movie can be. And like, I, I, and I know closer to its release that they had walked that back, but I, I just don't know where that was coming from. And because like Bailey's the only person I think I know that liked this movie. I just, what happened? I mean, do you remember in the build up to it? First of all, 
Shortly before this movie came out, Chloe Zhao won Best Director and Best Picture mm-hmm. for Nomadland, which I still have mm-hmm. not watched. Um, but by all accounts, it's a good one. One Best Picture. Not that that necessarily means it's good. There have been stinkers that have won that before. But, you know, you know, I, I don't think she's a bad director. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and she did a lot where, uh, like, they filmed on location. And she used certain kinds of cameras, certain kinds of film, like, like, I think she has a certain craft to her directing that has not really been seen in the MCU before. The cinematography is great. I'll go yeah. with that. Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, actually... and in a lot of ways, this is a, a, a very pretty, gorgeously shot movie. And people are to... making fun of Kevin Feige because he's like, yeah, in the sunset, that's actually the camera. You know, talking about how they're not doing it digitally and people are like, oh, my God, Kevin Feige just learned that you can film things. And I'm like, <laughs> no, like, come on. I, I get you don't want to dunk on Marvel because, you know, the threat of the monoculture. But <sighs> but come on. But it is it is different for them. And I, I have some broader thoughts on that later and how it relates to where Marvel Studios is going in 2022 and beyond. Yeah, I just I want to know what they were seeing versus what actually happened. In- this this is the most DC of all the Marvel movies. Yep. And I don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing because I've liked many DC movies and have disliked many DC movies as well. But the Eternals are, they feel kind of like DC characters in that they, it, it is not the world outside your window. Like Marvel famously used to talk about their universe. They are unknowable godlike beings and they're, they don't really have much that makes them relatable characters either. I posited earlier to Peaches that this movie is Chloe Zhao making a Star Wars movie starring the Justice League. (laughs) And your mileage may vary on whether that's a good thing or not, but it is a broadly told generation spanning story about ancient alien beings uh, who walk among us. Would make sense why they got away with two DC references. I don't want to jump ahead to what I know you want to talk about later. So I just need to remember to talk about what you just said would be great in an episodic form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm going to spend the whole time talking about that. Yeah, he's got that point. <laughs> oh, it's you. Oh, hammered okay. down, yeah. It me. Yeah. Back in the present, Cersei, Sprite, and Icarus travel to South Dakota to Ajax Ranch, <clears throat> only to find her dead outside Chocolate her room. Rain. Killed by Crow. He turned his mic away, his head away from the mic to cough, I <laughs> have you seen i have to talk about this now. have you seen him on tiktok where he does duets with people and you no. know those like um those duets where they're like come on in in three two you know the ones that i'm talking about yeah, yeah but yeah. he always just does chocolate rain no matter what the <laughs> <song>. <laughs> he's always like yeah i got it hang on chocolate rain <laughs> It's funny that uh, let's talk about Chocolate Rain for a moment. <laughs> um, that song went viral be- largely because of the on-screen note of "I move away from the mic to breathe in," um, because it's really funny to watch them just be like, you know, every <laughs> ten sec, like every two verses, we can breathe. But if you listen to the lyrics of that song, it is a serious song about racism. But then he was like, "Well, it's a meme now. Might as well lean into it." And he did a version for Cherry Doc- Diet Cherry Dr. Pepper or something. Do you remember that? No. no. Yeah, it was it was Cherry Chocolate Rain. Uh, mutuals on uh, 
on Twitter. So I'll make sure he knows we're talking about this. All right. Yeah. No, but, but he, uh, it, but it's like a joke, but like, it's like a joke song about how much money he made getting this endorsement. Uh, and he, even, yeah, and he even changed one of the verses to "I move away from the mic to breathe." <laughs> <laughs> the three mourn their fallen leader. <laughs> I was trying not to laugh, and then I decided it was too funny. <laughs> oh my god! That's terrible. <laughs> But you're not even sad you don't know anything about her. Why should we care? Oh, that's so funny. You know that she can heal people and that she's the leader? I don't know. You even know she can heal people? I don't know. You know she's the leader. But when Cersei approaches her body, the stone in Ajax's body that was bestowed to her by the Celestials attaches itself to Cersei, meaning Ajax has chosen her as her successor. Cersei briefly catches a glimpse of Arishem before she loses sight of him. Flashback 1521 AD. Tenochtitlan. Tenochtitlan. In the midst of a chocolate land. Chocolate land. Anyone remember that? (laughs) Finds herself overcome by Madwe-er. Madweary. Madweary. Hardly know he. A result of her past (laughs) memories collapsing in on themselves and driving her insane. She attacks her comrades and nearly kills them before they subdue her. Thena awakens with little memory of the incident, although Ajax proposes that they go to the Domo and use the available resources to help Thena. Makari argues that she wouldn't really even be Thena after the procedure due to it potentially erasing aspects of her as they already love her. I mean, by aspects, it means, you know, they would erase all of her memories. Druid questions Ajax's leadership as he has long been angry that he cannot use his powers to help mankind stop their battles, but he knows he cannot intervene. Ajax decides that, since the Deviants have been driven out and staying together would be dangerous, they should all split up and live in the world among the mortals. Gilgamesh agrees to look after Thena and make sure she doesn't hurt herself or anybody else. I think Druig would have made a 100 times more compelling villain Mm-hmm. If he Me was too. the one that turned mm-hmm. bad, I think he would have been. It would have been so much more interesting because he like there, as all good villains, there is a semblance of a good point in there to what he is saying. He's saying, "What? Why do we have all of this power if we can't really help people?" Obviously, the way that he goes yeah. about it of literally controlling people and get, taking away their free will is not the correct uh, way to do that. But he's like on the right track. Icarus is just stupid. <laughs> See, that could have been an, a very interesting like final confrontation because maybe he takes over the minds of a bunch of humans and now the Eternals who are trying to fight him have to decide whether or not they're just going to absolutely murder a bunch of innocent people that are being mind controlled. Okay. That could have been a way more interesting story. Mm-hmm. Also, the tr- I don't know how you guys felt, but the trailer for this movie made it seem to me like Druig was going to be the bad guy of the bunch. Well, that's because they had to preserve the twist that it's Icarus. I, I guess. I don't know. I agree with you. I think he would have made a better villain. Right. Uh, present Mumbai, Cersei, Sprite, and Icarus travel to find Kingo, now a famed Bollywood star who has pretended to be his own descendant for the last few decades to maintain an acting legacy. His valet, Karan, uh, played by Harish Patel, knows his secret and has been working with him for over 50 years. 
The three break the news of Ajax's death to him and the threat of the Deviants. Karan encourages Kingo to join his friends on their mission to round up the others, and Karan is even more than willing to join them. He also thinks he's a vampire and tried to kill him. But he, that, he, I've apologized so many times. <laughs> and you've almost apologized enough, I'll let you know. <laughs> oh man, I was I was very excited when Kumail Nanjiani was cast. I've always found him very funny. Uh, I think I've said it before, but I oh you know I know what my recommendation is going to be for the end of the show. Oh, put that thing in reverse. Yeah, yeah put that put that half heated booty in reverse. Put that thing back where it came from, or so help me. They travel in his private jet to Australia, Australia, where Sprite why? expresses annoyance at Kingo for abandoning annoyance. Her. Uh, a while for his oh, new no, famous I... lifestyle. She was she was pretty pissed. Uh, in Australia, the team locates Thena and Gilgamesh in their private location. Thena almost has another lapse where she tries to attack her family, but Gil is able to talk her down with help from Sprite. He cooks them dinner before they take the time to mourn Ajak. Later, Cersei tells Gilgamesh about her new burden as a leader and how she cannot figure out how to link herself to speak with Arsham. After relaxing herself, she is able to speak to the great celestial leader. He tells her that the emergence is happening, and he explains the true purpose of the Eternals. They were sent to bring forth the birth of the celestial Tiamat. As new celestials come uh, about every few millennia, and they have done this process on other planets before Earth. They come about through intelligent life, which had been halted by the attack of the Deviants. But with the Eternals having gotten rid of them, Arsham says it is now time to wipe out all life on Earth to wake, to make way for Tiamat. God, these names are really jumbling my tongue. Cersei is... Uh, we're going to pause real quick, just because this is like the one scene, or one of these scenes, where they try to kind of awkwardly acknowledge the rest of the MCU. I feel like a lot of those references came off a little weird for me. I compared it to like season one Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where it's like, oh, I got to mention that I know Iron Man. Otherwise, people might turn the TV off. It's because they're talking about well, who's going to lead the Avengers now. And Icarus is like, I could do it. And uh, Kingo talks about how, well, let's see. Gilgamesh mentions that he got a recipe for one of the drinks from Odin after he helped them out with something. And Kingo's like, oh, yeah, Thor used to follow me all, around all the time when he was a kid. Now he doesn't return my calls. So... We know that Kingo knows Thor, uh, so that's a thing. So they know some of the Asgardians. So that's a place where some of these characters could show up down the line, I guess. But they feel really, I don't know, it feels weirdly forced. I think the one that bothers me the most is what's this table made of? Vibranium? Fall collection, Ikea. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to have interrupted. Uh, talking about his, oh, and his spit beer, too. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Cersei is horrified by the revelation, uh, but Arsham defends it by saying this is just the cycle of creation for their life forms. He then explains that Olympia never existed and that she and the other Eternals are just creations from the World Forge as artificial beings made for use by the Celestials. Cersei cannot remember this be uh, because the Eternals have their memories reset after each emergence. To top it all off, Arsham created the Deviants to regulate the balance between predators and prey so intelligent life may prosper, but he lost control of the Deviants and they became predators themselves. He made it so that Eternals could not evolve to correct his mistake. Quick Spitfire trivia. What movie was the first mention of the Celestials? Guardians? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, that's Guardians the original. of the Galaxy. Yeah, where they get the... Nowhere. Yeah, Nowhere is a Celestial's head. And then Ego 
claims to be a celestial as well. Well, and also Urson Essen Essen shows up. Oh, Isan in the, the searcher, yes. In the in the uh, Isan, yes, shows up in the background backstory of the Power Stone. Cersei breaks the revelation to the others. They are stunned by the knowledge of their true purpose, but most of them resolve to find a way to save the uh, the Earth. Uh, they figure they must find Druig and see if he may use his power to overtake the mind of Tiamat. The Eternals and Karin travel to the Amazon where Druig is staying in a village where he has been keeping watch over the people for decades. He is not so keen no. to help the others in their missions. as he is growing I take to- issue with how that was written. Keeping watch and keeping under your spell are two different things. Uh, I agree. Uh, mm-hmm. As he has grown cynical, Damn it, Jeremy. <laughs> and look, I'm a, I'm a Wanda Maximoff defender here. Uh, this guy went too far. <laughs> uh, hang on a second, because <laughs> he did it on purpose, and then kept doing it. And eventually, Wanda was also doing it on purpose. Yeah, but then she stopped when she realized what was actually and, happening. And, and then so he stopped guy. when he realized it wasn't actually good to do it. I, you're, I, see, I your just logic like just insane. isn't tracking there. Okay, look, let's we'll save this argument for the Doctor Strange episode. <laughs> uh, the other, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, he is not so keen to help the others in their mission as he has grown cynical and weary over the knowledge of what they were meant to do. Um, Peach. Around the time that this movie was released, I would say generally, I don't actually remember when this movie was released, but around the time, we also had famed, uh, not very liked Disney Plus show, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, Peach, can you explain to me a way we could have potentially enjoyed (laughs) the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the Eternals more? I I know we talk about this so often, but... Rewatching this, I just felt even more strongly that I I don't know why this wasn't one of the Disney Plus series and something like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Hawkeye. Even though I liked Hawkeye, I think both of those things would have made better movies, even if they didn't go straight to theaters. I mean, we all grew up with DCOMs, baby. I, I like me a Disney Channel original movie. I will watch the Hawkeye Disney Plus original movie. It's almost the same as a DCOM. That's but- what they're doing with Rescue Rangers, right? Uh, is that a movie or a show? I, yeah, I believe it's a it's movie. A, yeah, Friday. Okay, perfect. Yep. Perfect. Do that again because that's what we need for some of these things and we need some of these things, at, well, we need one of these things so far, The Eternals, to have been a series instead. They 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 talk and talk and talk about all of this stuff that has happened to them over the course of 7,000 years. If your timeline for knowing these 10 people is 7,000 years, that is so much time that you can devote to character development in a show instead of a movie that you're trying to cram stories from like 12 different perspectives. If you include like Kit Harrington's character and maybe the Celestials, uh, whatever you're cramming all of that into almost three hours when you can make this series where you get to know these people over time, you know, people complaining about the chemistry between Icarus and Cersei not being real. Give me more episodes where they get to know each other and they begin to care about each other and then they stop. You know, you you have all these flashbacks where they go back and in the movie, in the flashback, really all they do is have a slight spat and they have a fight scene and then they stand in a V formation while the sun is shining down on them. Like, give me a whole episode where they're in Mesopotamia or whatever and they're like, they're, that's where they're at. That's the setting for that episode. Or 
do it like Haunting of Hill House, the first five episodes of Haunting of Hill House, where all the characters from the show are in each episode, but one of the characters is the focus of that episode. Give me an episode that is mostly Kingo, and you can see how he interacts with some of his pals, but you can see what he's been doing over 7,000 years. And then the next episode, give me Gilgamesh and do the same thing. And then you have an episode later where they all come together, you know, maybe not because there's 10 of them, maybe not one episode per person, but maybe two, two of them. You see what they've been doing for 7,000 years and have fun pairings, have one of the pairings be Icarus and Cersei. So you can see this unbelievable love story and (laughs) whatever, whatever it might be. I just think that this name a more iconic duo. Yeah. I just think that like this was an opportunity to take your time telling a story because I really think that these characters could have been interesting had they had any time to develop whatsoever, but they just didn't. And I don't think when I rewatched this, I felt worse about it than the first time. I think overall I was surprised that I didn't feel worse, but also I, I just there's so much to try to hang on to in your brain and you don't, you don't have time to absorb any of it. And also it's not enough to care. I don't care about any of these characters because I've had two minutes with each of them. Mm -hmm. That's a slight exaggeration. No, it's not Uh, slight, like three minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I I just, yeah, I, I don't know if I have anything else besides rambling. It, it's a story that I think you're right really would have been served better spread out a little bit more yep. uh, when you're trying to introduce 10 main characters plus a bunch of supporting characters it, it it's just too much for a movie to I think effectively handle and I think that's why some of the plot lines feel really underdeveloped like the whole thing with Crow yeah why do we care you can make me care yep. about him by putting him in each of these individual episodes right. Maybe like stalking yep. the Eternals, trying to figure out how to kill them to collect their power. He shows up at the end of the movie and he's basically just like, hey, they already programmed me to be part of the movie. So can you just kill me real quick? Like, yeah. Right. I- <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you. And I know that it's something that many people have said, but now finally watching it for the first time today, I completely agree um, with your points. It, it, you know, I, I think you're right on it would have served perfectly to give each of these characters a feature episode where we learn or two or whatever, but a feature episode where we learn about them. Um, yes, that's what Arrested Development season four did and it sucked, but I think you're thinking more Octopath Travelers, so I'll allow it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think you're right. I, it, it would have given us ability to focus on each of them, care about them. We have this Dane dude. Well, may very well be the most important character to come out of yeah. this movie. <laughs> right. We have this Dane dude. We drop him about a third of the way through the movie. And then we're supposed to care about the reunion at the end of the movie when I barely remember who Dane is. And it's like, I have to tell you something important. Right. And then he right. doesn't get yes. a chance to. Speaking of which, Peach, this point where you stopped the show for us to talk about this, that was the point where I po- about the point where I paused it thinking we're headed to the climax and then saw that there was almost an hour and a half left in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, well, that's why I pause it here. Cause I think something like an episode yes. of TV where yeah. you see wh- why Druig has done what he's doing, like exploring his character more. Cause I think his character, like Eduardo said earlier yes. is just an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Like that is an interesting 
perspective to say, I could do so much to help these people, but I'm not allowed to. I, I would have liked to have seen more about Festos and his family yep. too. Yes, you know? absolutely. Festos, I mean, I, man, I was going to talk about that more later, but like, yes, Festos is just forgotten, but he's actually interesting. But then, Yeah, I like him too. I joked about it, but uh, he's, he's a good character too. And Brian Tyree Henry's funny. And mm-hmm. there was a moment where I'm watching this with my friend and she goes, you know, there are two, are you aware that there are two Eternals that you've probably forgotten exist? And that was about at this point. And I'm just, oh yeah, that's right. I, you know, Chris said something about this being Star Wars meets Justice League where um, you're trying to do an, a massive epic spanning centuries, covering lots of character, covering the distance of solar systems, etc. And that's all well and good. But Star Wars didn't try and cover its whole mythos in one movie. Mm-hmm. Star Wars told a small story like literally pretended to be a, a segment of a serialized story where you just saw one part and yeah. then, you know, you didn't see the beginning and the stuff that came before. You don't see the stuff that came after. You see this part of a serialized story. That was its conceit. And this instead tried to be the entire story that should have been serialized compressed into yeah. an eternal two and a half hours. And, and uh, it was an eternal. I, I, yes. Yeah. I, that said, all that said, Regardless, I still think the Icarus and Cersei chemistry still would have sucked because the problem is still that Icarus is, is you know, the Plank from Ed, Ed, and Eddie as a character. So <laughs> Plank. I, I hey, just, Plank would have been my MVP if he were in this. That's true. I also want more Makari. I don't know. I yeah. Don't, I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm, the, I don't know if we are the right people to talk about this, but I think that one thing I remember hearing when this movie came out is that they felt it was good representation for a diverse community of people. And I feel like if if I was told, here's here's your movie, here's how we're representing you, I would feel cheated by these characters because there's not enough of them. I want there to be more of these diverse characters that like bring these these cool abilities and perspectives to the movie. But you get five minutes of Makari. Mm-hmm. You get ten minutes of Festus like I want more time with not plank <laughs> yeah. you know and, and it's I remember the discourse around this movie being particularly toxic in every direction because on the one hand I you know it got really bad reviews and I'm maybe alone on this but I feel like it got trash interviews more than it deserved yes it's to me on the lower tier of Marvel movies but it's to me I know Robbie will disagree at least that it wasn't awful. There were a lot of things in it that I liked and, 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 you know, like peaches is saying, I think that there are things that could have been done better. The one thing that would have lost if it had been done as a Disney plus show is that I think a lot of the cinematography and the vistas, uh, they were really great to see on a big screen in theaters. I remember that. I agree. But a lot of times it felt like they were washing out the colors for some reason like a DC movie, and I didn't uh-huh. understand why. It, it's... Yeah. I think this movie has a problem in which that it feels, and Peach, this is going to kind of coincide into your Disney Plus point, that it feels fragmented. It feels like all like lots of pieces to a puzzle that never really end up fitting together well and never really you know, showing a, a large picture well. And <clears throat> I think it's very clear, not just because we got reports of it, that this movie was heavily 
heavily edited, that it was heavily edited, that there were a lot of changes made, that this is not necessarily the original movie that they were intending to make. And it was very, very clear because of how sort of disjointed it feels at times. It feels like these these scenes don't necessarily flow into each other with as much grace as they, they probably should. And maybe if they had time to take a little bit more time, episode by episode, so that we could do a retrospective on it, uh, and um, you know, really take time to develop these characters, we wouldn't feel like... Because it feels like the movie... And Chris, you talked about this a little bit earlier. I, know, I remember you mentioning Justice League. It feels sort of like Justice League. It feels like Justice League mm-hmm. in which we are trying to create our shared universe here right now in this movie. And we're trying to also do the team-up movie all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't land. Yeah. Like, I don't need a movie for every single Eternal, but a TV show. I, I really do think that a miniseries is the way to go for this story. Yep. And it's too bad. And I what you were saying about the, the discourse and kind of what you were saying about the diverse cast. I love the diversity in this cast mm-hmm. um, and in the characters as well, that we have, you know, actual, you know, a, you know, a man with a husband and a, and a son and, and they kiss and they didn't edit it out for China either. You know, so they, they're like, yeah, we're doing this. And it wasn't, you know, LeFou, you know, making eye contact with a man across the room and we're supposed to applaud for that. You know, like they're like, yeah, yeah, guys get married sometimes. And and that we had, you know, Makari who who speaks exclusively through through sign language. And, you know, it, when we talked about that kind of a bit in Hawkeye as well, they're, they're really doing a lot to try to, you know, diversify the MCU because they know that that was a pretty valid criticism, especially going further back uh, earlier in, in the MCU's run. I remember that there was almost no good discourse about this movie because it was either people that were really excited to talk about how bad it was uh being shouted down by mcu stands who were like you can't talk like this about this movie it's so diverse and trying to use it as a shield and it's like let's all just calm down for a little bit and you know talk with a little bit of nuance because you can say hey these things about this movie were good these things about this movie were bad and you know we don't have to yell about it I'm going to yell here in a little bit. Okay. At I'm night, yell about some things. I'm going to yell about one thing in particular. At night, okay. Kingo oh, yeah. talks to Sprite <laughs> and states that he knows that she is in love with Icarus, but has not been able to act on it due to her childlike appearance. Another interesting character that it would have been interesting to see her story throughout the years of being trapped in a child's body, but being so old. That would have been an interesting story that probably could have Mm -hmm. done really well with being expanded on seeing what Mm -hmm. Kingo being an actor doing these things throughout the years and trying to like cover his footsteps of, you know, trying to convince people that he's not the same person. There are so many, so funny, right? There are so many really interesting stories that they just don't end up going into. It's really sad. Uh, Soon Crow and the other deviants attack the village. The Eternals fight them, but Crow overpowers Gilgamesh and absorbs his energy, gaining the ability to walk on two legs and speak English. After he leaves, (laughs) Thena stays by Gilgamesh's side as he dies. Is that Gilgamesh's power? (laughs) (laughs) He speaks! He's bipedal! (laughs) Specifically English. (laughs) Uh, The other Eternals mourn him. Look, and... 
I, I, I don't have a problem with Selma Hayek being in this movie. I don't have a problem with a lot of these people being in this movie, but why do they have their accents right after they're created? Don't think too hard about that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they chose those accents over 7,000 years, you know? But they we see them at the beginning of the movie. Uh, Druig, uh, I'm Icarus. <laughs> uh, Druig agrees to join the team in honor of Gil and knows they need to find Fastos now. Flashback, 1945. Here we go. Flashback, 1945, Hiroshima. Just after the dropping of the atomic bomb, Fastos stands among the aftermath of the bombing. He weeps to Ajax, feeling remorse for helping humans develop and advance in technology, only to continue killing each other. It is here where he loses faith in humanity, and it is here where I lost faith in this movie. It, if this scene wasn't included in this movie, I would probably be around where Chris is as far as my enjoyment, because there was a lot that I enjoyed in this movie up until this point. This is such an egregiously awful scene it is in such poor taste to include in your superhero movie the, the the notion that your superhero was responsible for literal genocide. It is not. It is it, like it's it's unfathomable to me that someone greenlit this. That someone was like, "This is a good idea. We should put this in the movie that our superhero was responsible for Hiroshima." What in an absolutely insane choice and an awful, awful, awful one. I think it is disrespectful. I think it is, it, it does not belong in a Marvel movie. It does, uh, this type of thing does not belong in a superhero movie because you are not taking any care when you're talking about this. You're not being, you're not talking about, you know, you're talking about a very horrific, awful thing that happened in history. It's awful. I don't, and you know, that's not up for, to me. That's not up for debate. It is. It was an awful thing that you know, all, I think all parties can agree should have been avoided at any cost. And the fact that this movie just decides to be like, no, we're going to take credit for that one. This very real thing where it's tons and tons of people died is disgusting, frankly. And I, it really, really, really bogs down this movie for me. I feel like they could have, if they wanted Festus to get to that level of disappointment that he conveyed, they could have used so, so, so many other way less awful things. Or, I hear me out here, or, they could have literally just made something up because it's a goddamn yes. comic book movie where you didn't <laughs> right. have to literally talk about Hiroshima. You could literally made anything up. He made like a, a the, not real event. He made the quadricycle, a four wheeled bicycle that ran over a bunch of people. Oh no, he hates society now. Like it doesn't. Uh, he didn't. They didn't need to do this. Yeah, I, this is a clumsy scene because I think what the, they're not, I don't think they're trying to say that he literally made the atomic bomb. No. He's just like, oh no, I gave them technology and this is what they did with it. Which, again, kind of gets back to the, you know, ancient alien theory kind of removing agency from humanity in some ways. But the other, uh, uh, the, um, like you said, they could have, I don't necessarily think that they needed to make up something, but they could have just sort of used war in general as the uh the idea just 
you know, even a montage just showing weapons getting more and more advanced and body counts getting higher and higher because of technology advancing and just how technology is used for all these horrible things. They could have done that and I think avoided, you know, stepping in it like they did with this because it is a lot to suddenly introduce. I mean, he could have done it. He could have done it in the same scene where Druig got upset that Druig couldn't help the people that were fighting each other. He could have said, yeah, they're fighting each other with weapons that I helped. I, I inspired them to make. Yeah. Like, I agree with you, Druid. Isn't this it, is terrible. Isn't it crazy how easy it is not to talk about Hiroshima in your superhero movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> isn't it insane how easy that was? You just did it in a second. Marvel, yeah. hire this man. You sort of touched on this, but making it even worse is that Festus is an interesting character. He might be the most fun and interesting character in this movie, except for the fact that he's not in half of it. And then when they reintroduce him, it's with garbage. It's and, and the core of this idea is actually an interesting idea, too, that he loses faith in humanity because he, you know, we see at the beginning, he's inventing the steam engine. Uh, and then, you know, dials it back to the plow because he's too far along. But he's so excited to get this technology to humans to see what they can do with it. And then what we do with it sucks. And that makes them lose faith in humanity. And that's an interesting story. And also an interesting story is him finding faith in humanity again and starting a family. We get that in two sentences. And mm-hmm. in one scene that made a lot of people really mad and i can't say that they're wrong for being mad about it so it would have been nice to have an episode of that minus yeah minus, you know, the one thing. minus hiroshima yes yeah it's really gonna take down my score uh, i don't know how other people feel about this scene but to me it, it is it rivals that scene and it, i think this one's a little worse because it explicitly states it but it, it is still pretty bad in crimes of grindelwald where they imply that the the reason the muggles are bad are because of World War II and the Holocaust. It's tough. It's very tough. I'll never know. I'm not watching that shit. <laughs> Just do yourself a favor and never watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Present Chicago, Fastos lives with his husband, Ben, played by Haas Sliman, and their son, Jack. And the Eternals find him at their home. Jack recognizes Icarus from TV from his fight with Crow that was featured on the news. Fastos is not willing to abandon his family for the sake of dangerous mission. It's funny because earlier you guys were saying Festos and it sounded like Festus, but it's Festos. Uh, but Ben tells him to go through with it if it means that there will be a future for them and Jack together. The Eternals travel to Iraq uh, where they uncover the Domo as well as Makari having lived among the locals. Fastos comes up with the idea of linking everyone's powers together through the Unimind. Ugh. Which allows them, which allows them to transfer their powers, so that Druig may control Tiamat, uh, and the new gods do a similar type of thing, where they basically Captain Planet into this big new god robot thing, where they like that oh, sounds pretty dope. That's that's like the the new gods are like they're like this like the 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 comic the new gods about the like superhero team the new gods that's what they do is they have like a a unification where they turn into this like robot type thing Um, when kingo tells icarus that he would follow him to the end icarus tells him that he is not who kingo thinks he is six days earlier we see ajak having gone to visit icarus to tell him about the emergence and how the avengers have brought everyone back to earth after thanos erased uh them 
brought about the energy needed for the deviants to come back. That was written poorly. I apologize. She has since begun to debut their purpose, to doubt their purpose, not debut. Here's your purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Curtains rise. <laughs> and thinks they shouldn't go through with the mission because of how close they have become with the people of Earth. Icarus brings Ajax to a location near an icy lake where he has located deviants. Because he refuses to abandon the mission, he throws Ajax to the deviants, where Crow goes to absorb her energy and gain her power. Icarus flies her body to her house, where he will later find her with Cersei and Sprite. Fasto sends Makari to locate the source of the emergence, which turns out to be an active volcano in the Indian Ocean. Icarus goes to stop their plan as soon as he uh, reveals that Ajax told him about the emergence after they left Babylon. They realize that he killed her and is planning to go through with the emergence at whatever the cost. Sprite joins him due to her love for him. Kingo ends up leaving the team with Karan for fear that he will end up getting him killed if they have to go against Arashun. Chris, let's talk about this. Uh, I think this is dumb. And the main reason I think it's dumb is because Kingo is one of the most interesting characters in the movie. I think he's really interesting. And I think it is dumb that at one point he just goes, all right, I'm not really into this, guys. I'm out of here. And he just disappears for the, the rest of the movie. I believe that was added. I believe he was just left out. That's frustrating. <laughs> wow. I agree that I would have liked more Kingo because like I said, he's probably my favorite. I disagree that the idea is dumb because I actually think it's an interesting idea to have them not agreeing like as a group on whether or not their mission is right. You know, Kingo says, you know, I understand. I love humans. I've lived among humans for a long time. I love the people of Earth. But also, if we stop this, there are billions, uh, billions, billions and billions of more life forms that are never going to get a chance because of what the, you know, how the celestials do things. And I think it's interesting to show them having an agreement and having to be a mature thing where it's not like we're superheroes. We must punch each other now because we disagree. Or he's like, all right, he goes, you all have to do what you think is right. I have to do what I think is right but I'm not going to stop you because you're my family and and I don't believe in that. I think that is an interesting idea. I, I now, like that. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but what I'm going to argue kind of on the side of Eduardo is that something being interesting doesn't necessarily mean it makes for an entertaining film. For instance, taking a beloved character and doubling down on their potential villainy is an interesting plot point, but I don't necessarily enjoy watching it for an entire movie. Well, Mm -hmm. and I think the reason for that is, is because like Kingo, we never deal with the ramifications of this choice. We never deal with Kingo's ramifications for this choice. He never, there's never like anything that he has to deal with. He never, there's never like a consequence. Uh, He just disappears for the rest of the movie. I think it is. And he shows up again at the end and they're all. Right. And they're all like pals, right? We never actually have any sort of anything about this. And I think if it's going to be interesting, it is interesting because you're then going to have the conflict of why weren't you there with the rest of us? I was talking about multiverse of madness. I know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I was worried you were kind of inflating that no, I, I I know what you're talking about. I was trying to throw more of a grenade into the podcast. <laughs> I said, you know, we're going to talk about that. You know, we're, we'll probably end up recording that episode in the Miss Marvel to She-Hulk hiatus. Yeah. And 
everyone's that means I have to think about classes. all the yelling I'm going to be doing for another like month and a half. And oh god, um, so I don't want to do that early. Um, but I, yeah, I would have liked to have seen them go into that more. And again, it just it's weird that I so many of my misgivings about this movie or the things that I don't like, I really think could have been fixed if it had just been a miniseries, you know, to actually have some space to examine the, this Kingo conflict. And, and, you know, the, the outcome could still be that the rest of the Eternals are like, we get it. We understand, you know, this is your, your mission that you've, that you've believed in for so long. And, you know, him deciding to not interfere with them, you know, maybe they're okay with that. Maybe they're not, you know, and I think either option is a fine option. It just would have been nice to have actually seen that, but we had to get to the, the fighting and the, and the finale. And then we had to get to the ending after that. So we never really got to sit down and marinate on that idea. I think another problem that I have is his reasoning. He's more like, it doesn't seem as, it just seems like he's like, Icarus is my boy, and I can't go against my boy, so I'm out of here. <laughs> Although Cersei expresses her doubts, Thena assures her that she was chosen by Ajax to succeed her for a reason. Fastos then offers to reprogram the stone in Cersei from linking to Arishem to linking to all of them to form the Unimind. The Eternals gather by the volcano and begin to battle Icarus. He seemingly kills Druig and fights the others just before Crow arrives to attack. Thena fights Crow, where he taunts her and nearly absorbs her life force until she slices him to pieces. There goes Crow. Sprite attempts to take down Cersei, uh, but Druig emerges and knocks Sprite out. After they subdue Icarus, the Unimind is activated and Cersei takes on the combined powers of the other Eternals as Tiamat begins to emerge from the volcano. With her powers, Cersei freezes Tiamat and causes it to remain as some kind of statue. Icarus frees himself, but he feels great remorse for his actions and chooses to fly himself directly into the sun. In the aftermath, Cersei understands Sprite's frustrations with her, so she uses the Unimind to take away Sprite's immortality so that she may live a normal life. You know, I don't think that it's bad writing for characters to learn more about their powers as a movie goes on, but it's another weird sticking point for me that Cersei talks about in the beginning of the movie, how she can't affect organic matter. And then she suddenly just can like, there's no development. She's just like, all right, well, he's a marble now. It's also confusing, but she's like, I can't affect organic matter, but I can turn like, what is organic? Like, what does she define as organic matter? See, I, Mm, I, I thought that when she turned the deviant into a tree in the village, it made sense because they were underwater. He was covered in water. She can change the water into a tree and the thing's covered in water. So now he's like surrounded by tree. He's like one with the tree. Okay. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. But like, she just, no hesitation, just changes this, this celestial into a giant icicle marble whatever he is and then they like really poorly explain it through the dialogue like we know none of you are going to understand what just happened because it actually doesn't make any fucking sense so have a few lines about why this worked and let's move on insight okay 
So this makes me feel no, no insight whatsoever. This just oh. makes me feel better. If you're looking at the at the show notes, you'll see that in a moment I'm about to talk about how unsatisfying oh. and confusing this ending is. I'm but so no, sorry. No, don't apologize because you're making me feel better. Because I I came out of that ending thinking, I I missed something because what they just said didn't really it didn't make sense and or wasn't satisfying. So the celestial gave them the power to kill himself. Like that I, is I, what I, Festus says. I, yes. I, yeah. Festus. They apparently the Eternals get some of the Celestials' power when they're emerging, and that's how they're able to survive. Festus says that's what he's always wondered uh, about this thing that he just learned always last, uh, yesterday. <laughs> that is the most. Is there another Deus Ex Machina that's that awful in the MCU? Like that? It's just. How are we going to save the day? Well, we'll reveal how at the last second by something that was never approached at any other. I'm not going to have a It is almost point. literally deus ex machina. I, I am knocking half a point off the ranking right now now that we're discussing this. <laughs> I thought I was confused. Also, I didn't think even, it was just flat out stupid bad we writing. We don't I, even need to go into detail about how a fucking even 15% of a celestial emergency. Look at my look at my sport. notes. Look at my notes, Peaches. <laughs> okay, I'll shut up. You go ahead. No, don't shut up. Just look at my notes. I want you to keep going because it I'm just <laughs> like you think that stopping the celestial at 15% dude's prairie dogging out of the earth and, <laughs> and you don't think that's gonna affect the, the, <laughs> the air of the ground. No, that was Maui just messing around. Like <laughs> <laughs> I get that joke now. <laughs> right. A fully formed hand is coming out, like a full-sized hand. So is it that the Earth is turning into a celestial? Or is he somehow inside the center of the Earth as full-sized? And just and as, he's just fisting. He's reverse fisting. <laughs> and so I, I, then, also, there's, there's a, a celestial statue in the middle of the ocean that we haven't broached anywhere else in Phase 4 yet? That seems like an important thing. And also... The end of the movie is two weeks later. I don't know if you remember that title card. When they're sitting in South Dakota with uh, the husband and kid again, it's two weeks later and two weeks it took for them to put that report on the news. And the husband is like, you right. did this? That's and he's like, I love you so much. Like, you didn't talk to him for two weeks? Right. And also, that would have been one of those things where you, like, you switch to MSNBC and it is all they are talking about. Like, they've canceled all this the studio shows it is just they're talking about the celestial statue and act asking how is this thing forming and not destroying the earth at the same you know time? this marble right. dingleberry shaped like a hand came out of the earth i i cannot tell you how much better you're making me feel because i thought man they're all gonna have a logical explanation for these things that are bothering me no. <laughs> like, i just so much is unsatisfying about this ending and as we're getting close to the end of this movie i was definitely at the point where this is probably i mean this is definitely the first mcu movie ever where it was just God, I just want this to be over. When can this be over so I can stop watching this movie? And I was definitely at this point, but I thought at least maybe it'll be a fun, satisfying climax. No, the climax is even worse than the rest of the movie. It, I, I just, so this movie is full. We've kind of already established this. This movie is full of really interesting ideas that don't get fleshed out, which is why Two Peaches Point would have been better as a serial. You know, visitors becoming mythology. Yes, that's been done before, but it's still cool. Um, Thena's an interesting character. Angelina Jolie plays her very well. Um, her her uh, conflict is very interesting to me. It is just doesn't get much time because of how much else is going on. And so then she has this moment with Crow. I keep in my head, I just watched this movie and I keep picturing the robot from MST3K. But <laughs> she has this moment with Crow that is legitimately badass. Like it is a cool moment. 
But the emotional weight of that moment is not there because we haven't really gotten to see enough of Dina because we didn't see enough to establish her with Gilgamesh. Yes, we know she's in a relationship with Gilgamesh. Just because you tell us that doesn't mean we have bought into that and care about it. And so Crow standing there being Gilgamesh to her doesn't mean much to me when she kills him. Also, as we have established, we see Crow in one scene as this mega threat, and then the next time we see him, he dies. It's, it's not actually interesting. It, it, they, they waste their villain, which Peach already covered. I'm going to stop covering it, but it, it just leads to the, the finale of this movie being... You just made me realize something else that doesn't Yeah, go sense. ahead. Keep knocking half points off. How come Icarus with his laser vision cannot hurt this thing, but Thena can summon a spear and cut him to pieces? I had the same thought. When she killed it, I thought, what What way is she going to kill it? Because she can't kill it with yeah. her weapons. Then I'm she not, kills it with her weapons. Oh, yeah. what? I'm not trying to say Thena isn't strong, because she's definitely strong, but they make a point to say that Icarus is the strongest of the group. Mm-hmm. They get in a small fight where mm-hmm. you, you've never fought me before. Oh, I've wanted to. And then she can kill the guy, but he couldn't. What His laser vision almost never works on anything. Mm-hmm. Except that one time he's holding the mouth open of the thing and lasering its lungs. Now this is just the complaining hour. Well, and so... And 40 A lot minutes, of the character relationships and 16 should seconds. Have, A lot of these character relationships should have been interesting. It's, you know, Gilgamesh and Thena could have been interesting. Um, you know, it, in theory, Cersei and... Uh, Icarus could have been interesting. The 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 love triangle with, with Sprite could have been interesting. Like all of these people and their connections could have had weight, could have been fascinating to watch. But they're not. They're not they are not given enough time to develop. And frankly, they're either not directed or written. I don't think it's the acting. They're either not written or not directed in a way that makes them compelling or interesting. And a uh, friend and sometimes guest of the show, Patrick, pointed out, well, you know, they're, they're thousands of years old. Their relationships have broken up for four, hundreds of years. It's hard to know what's compa- what's um, relatable in a relationship like that. But that's fine. This isn't science. It's a movie. You have to get me to care about the characters. I, I, I mean, and then, like, one interesting idea they don't address here at the ending is the morality of the decision they made. And maybe that's what they're setting up for the sequel if, oh, God, they make a sequel. But the Celestials established that this cycle is necessary for creating stars to give galaxies life. And so they decide to break the cycle to save Earth. But it seems to me, if the Celestial is to be trusted, that that might actually screw over Earth and the universe at large. So, you know, obviously I'm rooting for Earth to be saved as I am an Earthling. But is that necessarily the actual correct, you know, big picture moral choice? And maybe they'll establish that in a later movie, but they sure didn't in this movie. Sprite's well, happy. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's like arguments that I had back when Loki was on with people about whether what the TVA was doing was good or bad. Like who And Cersei even says in this that, well, Arisham's ways are archaic and violent and terrible. I forget exactly how she phrased it, but, you know, kind of saying, you know, the universe is the universe now. We don't need just because the celestials think that this is how things need to be done doesn't necessarily mean that's how it needs to be done. Now, that's fair. It needs to be seen if they are if you know, the celestials are right and yes, this is how things need to be done, or if right. they're just so powerful that they assume, well, of course we're right. This is how it needs to be done. This is how we've always done it. So, so handle that. I, I'm not yeah. saying what you're saying doesn't make sense. I'm saying it's that's a more interesting movie. You know that mm-hmm. thing. I know you hate cinema sins, and that's fine. 
you're right to. But one of the things he talks about, he constantly dings films for what they talk about would have been more interesting than the movie you're actually seeing. And this is another one of those cases. Like this is a more interesting discussion to be had than what we actually saw. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we've already established that Icarus flying into the sun is absurd. Uh, Peaches fortunately talked about the physics of the celestial. So I didn't have to, I just, I don't know. This ending was just so bad, like just genuinely bad cool cool cinematography actually good action sequences but i just too much is wasted too much is not handled in any good way i don't know it was not satisfying and it made me sad that i watched the rest of it leading up to it i think and robbie maybe you can um agree with this sentiment i think the problem one of the big problems i have is that there is and i I think i alluded to this earlier but there is there are pieces of a good movie here there there it could have been a really good movie. They had a lot of really interesting ideas, but it felt like they left every interesting idea and decided to go with all their uninteresting ideas. That's exactly what it feels like. That's exactly how it feels to me. The Eternals split up once again, with Thena joining Makari and Druig on the Domo as they look for other Eternals while Fastos returns to his family. Sprite lives as a human and Kingo returns to his work. They all maintain a firm love for one another. <laughs> Cersei rejoins Dane, and who tells her that his family history is more complicated than he realized. Suddenly, Arsham appears in the sky and summons Cersei, Kingo, and Fastos. He tells them that he knows that they failed his plan for the emergence, but chooses to spare them for now, and then disappears. We then get a mid-credit scene with Thena McCarthy. Oh, the other thing that, that he's left out of this description is that he says that he will return to Earth and use their. Me- he's going to go through their memories. And then he will return to Earth using his their memories to judge whether Earth it was right of them to spare Earth or not. And apparently that was originally that was not in the original cut of the movie. Hmm. We then get the mid credit scene that set the world on fire. Uh, Thena, yeah. Makari, and Druig are struggling to find other Eternals as well as their own friends who have vanished. They are then found by a troll named Pip, who is played by Patton Oswald, and his employer. Brace yourselves, everyone. Eros, also known as Star Fox, played by Harry Styles, that dude from One Direction, <laughs> uh, who is the brother of rec- Thanos and fellow Eternal. How that makes sense? I, I did not recognize the actor, but I will say that seeing Pip was the first time I was excited in this entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> I did get excited when Pip showed up because I remember when uh, we talked about this back in the Endgame or Infinity War episodes, but when they cast Peter Dinklage, I think a lot of us assumed, oh, I bet he's going to play Pip because... Pip is so tied to Thanos and Adam Warlock yep. and the old, old Infinity Gauntlet mm-hmm. story. Can we talk about Eros real quick? Sure. Yeah. Is he an Eternal in the comics? Yes, because in the comics, the Eternals are different. The Eternals are not robots in the comics. They literally are these ancient beings. And but Thanos uh, isn't one. No, he's a deviant, and the deviants are offshoots of the Eternals uh. that have a, a certain gene. Thanos is so, a deviant? Thanos has the deviant gene. So they should have stopped him? Except he's not a deviant in this, because in this, the deviants are weird monster guys. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> the deviants... Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the Eternals are actually an offshoot of humanity called Homo Eternalis or something like that. Yeah, checks so, out. Yeah, uh, so... And then the deviants are Eternals that have this gene. Deviant um, Eternals. From Celestials tinkering in their genetics and everything. Yeah. Um, and they're all scary looking. And Thanos 
Thanos's father, I think, was an Eternal, and he had, and the the Deviant gene is like a recessive gene. So Eros, Star Fox, did not get that. Thanos did, and that's why Thanos looks like Thanos. Gotcha. And Star Fox looks, Star Fox looks enough Handsome. like like Harry Styles that I heard Harry Styles is in the movie. Did not hear who he was playing and guessed, oh, I bet he's playing Star Fox. <laughs> so what about the deviant art? Uh, that we don't talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm interested to see how they deal. Like, I thought we were done with Thanos and now they're introducing his brother. And it's like they made a point of like Pip introduces him as brother of Thanos. And then Makari says Thanos' brother. They, they really hammer home that, oh, this guy, Thanos is his brother. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that plays into future storylines. Don't really have any ideas. You know, just ready to sit back and watch. And hey, Patton Oswalt, always great to have around in anything. Well, let's do some more speculating with our post credit scene. Dane is in his family home, staring at the ebony blade, seeming hesitant to grab hold of it. Before he can make up his mind, an off-screen voice, Mahershala Ali is Blade, asks Dane if he really feels he is ready. So, Chris, clearly this is how we actually get Venom in the MCU. God, I hope so. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, So real quick, we'll uh, just, um, because I don't think we even mentioned it earlier, Dane Whitman in the comics is the superhero, the Black Knight, who gets his power from the Ebony Blade. Doesn't the Ebony Blade like slowly kill you or something like that? I think there's some sort of like curse involved with it. And it's been passed down through his family. So that's kind of what's been alluded to throughout this movie. Uh, and then Blade talks for some reason. Blade the vampire, the daywalker. Uh, the, the ebony blade can only be wielded by the impure of heart, drawing out their negative emotions until they become bloodthirsty berserkers. Okay, I knew there was something bad about it. That you don't want to use it uh, for too long because things get bad. Uh, so I, I, I don't know exactly what to say about Blade... Uh, how Blade ties into this. I don't know. Um, Except broadly. And I want to talk about Phase 4, just in general, because uh, something that we're starting to hear a lot of complaints about, I think, you heard it a bit with Moon Knight, and then more with uh, uh, when Multiverse of Madness came out, people kind of started saying, I don't know where Phase 4 is going. I don't understand how all this is connecting. And... I think people need to readjust their expectations. Phase four is the phase one East phase we've had in a long time uh, since phase one itself, uh, in that it is introducing a lot of new characters and new ideas. People talk about the Infinity Saga like it was always building up to Infinity War. It was not. It was building up to the Avengers. And then on a whim, they put Thanos in the credits of the Avengers And at that point, it became inevitable that it was going to be some kind of uh, Infinity Gauntlet storyline. And that's where you started to see things that were here and there setting up Infinity War. But really not as much as people act like it was. Yes, they introduced a couple things that were Infinity Stones. And they introduced a bunch of characters who then ended up being important to Infinity War because it was a big crossover team up. But it wasn't like every single thing was about how Thanos is getting the stones like Dr. Strange. Yes. It introduced the time stone and it introduced Dr. Strange, but it wasn't doing anything else for infinity gauntlet, the infinity war storyline. Uh, Ant-Man. Yes. Eventually 
those pin particles became important, but that was more about introducing Ant-Man and that whole corner of the universe. Phase four, what I think is coming, and you know, I could be wrong because we don't know exactly what's coming. Uh, we, we've heard about some shows and movies that are coming, but we don't know what it's quote unquote building up to. And I think that's because it's not building up to anything just yet. Phase four is about expansion. It is introducing new characters, introducing new concepts, new corners of the universe. So with so we've got the Eternals. All right, that, that's a bit whole cosmic thing that we've never really dealt with before. The Eternals, the Celestials, all of that. That's big. Between Moon Knight and the upcoming Thor Love and Thunder, we're getting more pantheons of gods as well. Interesting. Moon Knight, I think you can also lump in with the supernatural heroes. I've talked about that uh, on the show before. Blade, the Black Knight, those are super uh, supernatural heroes. I think what we're seeing is we're about we're building different teams now. There's there could be a supernatural team like the, like the uh, the Midnight Suns somewhere down the line. Young Avengers, uh, whatever the event, the main Avengers team looks like now, we don't really know. Some of them are still around, so I think that there's probably some semblance of an Avengers, an idea that has been thrown about. I'm sorry to like jump ahead to a little bit of multiverse of madness stuff, but at the end of Shang Chi we see that Wong and Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner are working together. Is this the beginning of the MCU Illuminati? I don't know. Where all these different teams realize that they, you know, they focus on their own thing and they have to work together on certain threats. Did Endgame sort of awaken them to that? So you've got your supernatural stuff. You've got your cosmic stuff. You have the Guardians of the Galaxy. You have, again, whatever Val is putting together. We don't know if they're Dark Avengers or Thunderbolts or, or a supervillain team. We know that we do have some big bad guys coming down down the lane. We know that Kang is coming eventually. We're assuming that things like Galactus and Doctor Doom are down down the road as well. Mutants could end up being introduced somehow. But I think we need to people need to stop thinking about oh how are things connecting and what is it building towards, and just look at it as they are expanding the playground so that there can be a lot of different things for a lot of different people in the MCU. And then they can throw those things together, you know, have them intersect in interesting ways. You know, having Wanda and Doctor Strange in the same movie actually, you know, interacting in ways that they didn't in the other two movies that they technically shared a screen in, you know, is a good idea. I I think it's good that, you know, we're finding new things to put together, but also still focusing on, on these stories and not, you know, not forcing connections where they don't need to be, but also saying, but look at how much more there is to this universe than you knew about. Isn't it going to be fun when we do start shaking things up and finding different combinations or permutations of these, uh, these characters and ideas? Agreed with all that. My big question for those people, because, and I see, I see those complaints too. I mean, why do you want to know where it's going? Why? I don't understand why that's important. Just... Like, isn't being surprised fun? Like, isn't the 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 stories should be good on the way there? That's what should matter. And this yes. is a case where it's not. The complaint about Phase 4 should be this movie, not... Um, it should be Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It shouldn't be, how is this building? Because who cares how it's building? We'll find out when we get there. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand the complaint. You know, people are upset that Moon Knight, you know, didn't chat with Kingo with, uh, like they apparently originally were considering... Uh, or that 
Multiverse of Madness didn't actually go to any of those other cinematic universes that we know. And Ralph Boner. Yeah. I mean, I have so many things I want to say about that movie, but we will talk about it later. Bring it back that old chestnut. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I guess what we're seeing is a lot of people not realizing or not. I think people want different things out of the MCU. And I think, and this might sound crazy to say, I think that they are more open to taking risks now than people give them credit for. When, when they're doing some weird stuff on their TV shows, WandaVision, Loki, Moon Knight especially were weird. And I liked that. And Eternals, love it or hate it, it's not like anything else they've done. You know, they they put out this weird-ass, should-have-been-a-miniseries movie. Multiverse of Madness, whether whether you love it or hate it, they made a Sam Raimi movie with everything that entails. You know, so they're, they're hearing people say, oh, every Marvel movie is the same, and going, well, watch this. And I think that's exciting. And... If it, if we don't know where it's going, that's fine. We'll get there when we get there. I think it's something that people need to realize is that we are now, and we probably feel this more than most because we do a podcast, but we are now inundated with more Marvel Cinematic Universe content than we ever have before. Between every movie, there is now one to two TV shows. There is Marvel content coming out every single day, it feels like. There's no way they can connect all of that. There's no way they can do one through-line storyline through all of that. Can they do a few separate smaller storylines? Sure, but I don't know if they even want to do that, right? Do they even want to create a bunch of separate small storylines or do they just want to my my feeling on this is that they are they're almost like casting a very large net into the ocean by putting out all of these different things and seeing what catches seeing what catches mm-hmm. fire seeing what people enjoy and eventually they're going to bring this net in and what will be in the what will be in the net are all of the things that people ended up really enjoying and so that's what I think that they are doing now. And I think it takes time to do that. I think the last thing you want is to try to very quickly establish a new universe. Because while it is still the Marvel Universe, most of the main characters that we have known are not here anymore. For you know, mm-hmm. they they're not part of this universe anymore. So you kind of have to start from scratch. You could, in theory, promote some of the secondary ones and then bring in some new ones. But I think they just want to start over and see what people enjoy and see what new interesting stories to tell. I don't think it is an interesting story for them to go. All right, well now we're gonna do a bunch of our lesser movies until we do our team up movie and then we do the team up movie a couple times and then we start it all like i don't think that is an interesting cycle i think it is much more interesting for them to tell interesting stories and to have team ups where it is where it's yeah. more interesting i also i'm a big fan and chris i think you're going to agree with me here i'm a really big fan of smaller team ups i'm a really big fan of like mm-hmm. a movie that just sort of brings together two or three different heroes or things that you don't normally see together and then just see them. Interact. That's one reason I loved Ragnarok. Yeah. 
You know, it was like a Thor and Hulk movie. Right. Cool. Absolutely. It, uh, combine this awesome Thor movie with Planet Hulk. It sounds awesome. Um, uh huh. And interesting things like that are what I want to see moving forward. I don't necessarily need a seminal, you know, universe setting thing. I also think that the Fanta- we know the Fantastic Four are coming, but the X-Men, I think people need to calm down with the X-Men because the X-Men have such, the X-Men's like catalog almost rivals that of Marvel itself. There are so yeah. many members of the X-Men and the Brotherhood and every way in between that to cover all of that, you're going to end up running into another Eternals where you're not going to be able to, to talk about everyone. They need to take their time with the X-Men. They need to really kind of focus in. And I don't mean X-Men Origins focus in. I think <laughs> I mean pick a couple characters, make them interesting, and build a world. But you can't just immediately be like, well, and here is all 12 members of the X-Men that just showed up. Like you need to yeah. you need to let that kind of stuff breathe. Yeah, introduce them in stories where it makes sense. We've talked about the idea of having Rogue in the Marvels yep. or having Storm in like a four movie or black panther movie since they're oh storm would be perfect in black panther crossovers in those movies i believe in 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 some of the comics storm is from wakanda yeah she she married t'challa she was queen of wakanda for a while yeah yeah Yeah. another thing that might be better as a tv show bringing the x-men in Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with that like yeah x-men would be better serialized but they won't do that They, they are going to there's want too to much money feature on the film table. with star power, yes. But I agree with you, Peaches. Yeah. MVPs. I'll start by giving a sigh because I don't actually know. Uh, but I'm <laughs> I'm probably gonna be like uh, it's gonna be uh, probably Fastos for me. I thought Fastos was maybe the most interesting character of this, even though Fastos is included in one of my least favorite scenes that I've seen over the past like <laughs> ten years. He is also the most interesting character that I've seen in the show. Uh, Robbie, who's your MVP? Mine probably would have been Fastus as well if he wasn't just forgotten for two-thirds of the movie. It was just completely not there. When Fastus was on screen, I think it was Fastus. Overall, I'm going to go with Thena, though. The performance was great. The I thought the character was interesting. She had the closest to an interesting plot of any of them, I think. Um, it, I'm not saying it was great. I didn't. I wouldn't have loved the, you know, if you edit everything out and just make it a Thena movie, there's still not enough there. But I think she was the closest to being interesting. Peach? Yeah, I had a hard time with this one, too, because like I complained about for several minutes, just nobody got enough time for me to really latch on to any one of them. Uh, So I wrote Gilgamesh because I liked what I saw of Gilgamesh's story. I think it would have been cooler to see more of him. But I also was interested i was wanting more of like druig and um and um oh my god what's there's nothing wrong with you not remembering these people's (laughs) names i know but i makari i wanted more of them like i wanted you know and i want i would have taken more thena story as well so i it could have gone to anybody but i wrote down gilgamesh uh chris i uh i just left the eternals and i'm giving my mvp to karen Karen Patel, uh, the valet of Kingo, or as uh, Gilgamesh called him, the Alfred uh, to Kingo's <laughs> Batman. I thought I think the focus groups are right. He was great. I'm glad that he was in it. Um, 
I, I think my favorite scene in the whole movie is when Kingo is fighting the thing and, uh, you know, in the Amazon or wherever they are. And, you know, he kills the thing and he's lying on the ground and he shouts out, did you get that? And you just hear from off screen, I did! <laughs> it's it's great. I, I don't think we need to talk about how this fits into the MCU because we basically talked at, at nauseum about that already. Uh, now there's I, a mountain safe like a celestial in the Indian Ocean. I mean, it's a besides how this movie affects uh, attractions at uh, Epcot, I don't think this <laughs> is going to... I think there will be some implications, but I think they are already uh, potentially rethinking whether or not the Eternals will continue. I no, I, I, I think that they are... I, I don't know if we're going to get Eternals too, but I can see them bringing back these characters and other things to sort of like rehabilitate the image a little bit and then giving them sequel like you know well you know if we put so-and-so in this movie and -and so-and-so in this movie you're going to really like them and when we come back with eternals 2 you're going to be like i gotta go see what happens to these guys that i've decided to like now so i i don't think they're gonna necessarily walk away from them just yet harry styles will put butts in seats at least yeah they've already paid too much money for harry styles Make the second one a Disney Plus. I will say this until I'm blue in the face. It doesn't matter that you already, like, it's sunk cost, right? The movie's already made. We can't turn it into a show. Make the second movie a show. Season one of The Eternals is, it picks up from where the movie left off. We That could be interesting. We learn more about everybody. Kit Harrington's in it. Uh, you know, Icarus 2.0 is in it because they made a new one. Mm-hmm. with the butt warmers i you know if you're gonna do it take the time to make us care so ratings chris we'll start with you what are you gonna rate eternals yeah I, uh, I actually did end up dropping half a point uh in the discussions i still liked it more than most of you but it uh, wh- what it comes down to is that this is not a movie i'm gonna want to rewatch. uh i will rewatch it when it is time to rewatch it in preparation for something else but I'm never going to sit down and go, oh boy, I want to watch Eternals tonight. So I gave it 6.5 finger guns out of 10. Uh, Eduardo. I I gave it 5.5 planetary dingleberries out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Peach? Uh, I, you know, like I said earlier, I thought I would dislike this more the second time. I didn't really feel all that much different. I thought the, the idea of the dilemma they had at the end of the movie was interesting, and it could have been an interesting movie if they did a better job making it interesting. Uh, so I gave it six and a half screams of my deep disappointment out of 10. <laughs> That's the most Robbie. Uh, appropriate. I'm, I am surprised by all of you after the, after going through the whole podcast, but that's fine. I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I regret having watched this. I never want to watch it again. Um, even on a rewatch of the MCU, I will skip this. Um, is if I can convince myself that it's not canon, I will. I'm with you, Peaches, that there was a good movie out there, but this wasn't it. Uh, I am giving it 3.5 unnecessary awkward sex scenes out of 10. Uh, let me put it to you this way, Robbie. Three po- uh, 35 and 55 are both still Fs. Yeah. <laughs> Rankings. Peach, where does this rank on your all-time list of uh, Marvel movies? Oh. Yeah, I... You know, six and a half is the lower end of my list. It's... And I don't know, now that we've talked about it, I initially put it on the list above Ant-Man 2 because I just felt Ant-Man 2 was so underwhelming. 
but I don't know. Uh, I, it could flop around. It, right now, where it sits near the bottom of the list, it's like Black Widow, then Eternals, then Ant-Man 2, and then Ultron. So it's like near the bottom, because Thor 2 is my last thing, and that's only a couple couple movies away. Uh, Robbie? It's at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man 2 was boring but passable, and this was boring and bad, so it's at the bottom. Eduardo? Uh, it's towards the bottom for me. It is just past Hulk. Uh, still above Iron Man, though. But you love Hulk. I do love Hulk. Famously, your favorite. Uh, I gotta ask you: Are you ever gonna? Are you considering reordering your your thing at all? Because I I feel like I remember you saying that you have maybe come around a bit on Volume Two, and I see it right there. There are a Hulk few of these Strange. movies that I think I have come around because I have. Like I've started to really incorporate rewatchability into my my rankings and my scores, and because of that, some of these movies are going to get flipped around. I Ragnarok immediately jumps out to me as a movie that's going to shoot towards the top as a movie that I just always watch because it's just one of those movies that I just always have on. Um, volume two, I've come around a little bit on. I feel worse about the first Doctor Strange. Uh, I feel, and I've talked about this before that Winter Soldier is maybe the most overrated movie in the MCU. I think for years people have talked about how it was just the best, the best, the best, the best. And now that I remember watching it and and really thinking about it, it maybe isn't even my favorite Captain America movie. Uh, I think I like the other two, both of them, more than I like Winter Soldier. Uh, So who knows? I mean, that's one of the reasons I have Shang-Chi so high is because I watched that movie all the time it is such a fun movie to rewatch and to just have on all the time so yeah i think i'll eventually do maybe for our next episode uh i wonder what it'll be uh i'm trying to uh, figure out a no way home pun but i can't uh something about (laughs) my aunt's dead uh the uh we just may record it no way (laughs) i'll be at home i'm not doing it (laughs) I won't help you with your happy Gilmore reference. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll probably end up changing it. Chris, what's your list look like? Um, it Again, I liked it more than a lot of you, but it still ended up third from the bottom for me. After Iron Man 2, ahead of Hulk and Dark World. And, and rewatchability is, I think, the key there. Because I looked at Ultron, I looked at Iron Man 2, I was like, yeah, I'd watch those again. Yeah. <laughs> so... So yeah, just just the fact that I'm never going to want I think partially because it's so long. It's a long time to devote to a movie that's just okay. So another part of it that makes it not good as a rewatch is that it spends a lot of time in character introduction and sort of this sort of character mm-hmm. building section. So you don't get a lot of plot. And when I rewatch movies, I rewatch movies to like watch watch a movie and those types mm-hmm. of things are not as interesting the second or third time around yeah again these are characters i want to see again i i, I left it liking a lot of these characters enough it's like yeah i want to know more about them it's you know kind of how i felt about rogue one where it's like i you know i wish i knew these characters better and i don't know if anyone read that big vanity fair article but it got me excited about the cassie nandor show that's uh coming out you know you saying not the Rogue One thing. I'm just going <laughs> to roll on by you. You saying that just makes me so confused about Bailey liking this movie because I know how Bailey is with information when she like 
likes something, she wants to dive in and know as much about it as she can. And you can't know anything about these characters. So why does she like this movie? I'm not going to put words in her mouth, but she likes some of the actors and... I figured because they're from Game of Thrones. She just likes some of the actors. She likes Harry Styles. She likes some of the performances. I like. She does like how different it is. It does not. F- I like a lot of the actors. A lot of it does not. A lot. I agree. A lot of the performances are really solid. It's not written the the best, but the performances are solid. It's a great right. cast. I remember when they announced yeah. this cast. Like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. So that's going to do it for our Eternals episode. But before we go, we do have our recommendations. Recommendation jingle. Yeah. Do you guys have anything you could recommend to our listeners to help get them through their week? I'll go first. Um, I will start with recommending the Venture Brothers, but I'll get there. I'll get there. I have an actual point here. Because I watch the cartoons my friends recommend to me. And so my actual recommendation (laughs) is I just finished Avatar The Last Airbender finally. It took me like two years of watching one episode like I don't know, what is that? Like, maybe one episode a month? I don't know. But I, I, I finished Avatar The Last Airbender. It was actually a good recommendation. I would say it is probably already nestled as my second favorite animated series I've ever watched. And so I would recommend that to all of you who haven't watched it yet, because it's coming off of Netflix soon, and that's why I... I um, what? Yeah, within the year. They don't have an exact date, but it's supposed to come off of Netflix within the year. I have it on Blu-ray. Um, I have the whole series. I mean, I don't, yeah, but I want it more available. Yeah, I don't want to have to yeah. go through the work of opening the Blu-ray disc. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but that was actually a good recommendation. I enjoyed watching it. Thank you, everybody. And so all of you at home who have not watched it should watch Avatar The Last Airbender. It's kind of an unrated, underrated show that no one really talks about, but you should. <laughs> a little, little under, underknown show. Uh, I'll go next. Um, I would like to recommend some trashy TV to you. I, Hell yeah. during its heyday, was a big fan of Sons of Anarchy. And I have just recently started watching the spinoff show, Mayans, which is Sons of Anarchy, but the gang is Latino. And I'm really enjoying it. It's uh, When I say trashy television, it's trashy. It is really dramatic. It's very vulgar. It's very... It's garbage TV, but like the best kind, you know, you just, you don't have to give it a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, uh, weight. You just watch the garbage television and you sink into your couch like the potato that you are and you just, you know, it's just a good time to just kind of sit and have your brain melt. I know I'm not really selling it right here, but the people that are habitual brain melters like myself will know what I'm talking about. The girls that get it, get it. That's right. And the girls that don't, <laughs> That's don't. True. What about you guys? Uh, I am going to recommend a movie uh, called The Big Sick. This is a movie uh, starring one of one of the Eternals, uh, Kingo himself, Kumail Anjiani. Uh, he co-wrote it with his wife, Emily V. Gordon, and uh, it was directed by Michael Showalter. It is a romantic comedy, and now I'm going to describe to you what this romantic comedy is, and you're going to go, what the hell? It is about a uh, a Pakistani American comedian who starts a relationship with um, uh, with a white woman, and uh, they're about to break up. They have kind of a fight, and they're not they're sort of broken up, but not one hundred percent. And then she ends up in a coma, and he pretends to be her husband so that he can like go to the hospital. 
he meets her parents. Uh, there's all this stuff about how her parents aren't really sure how to feel about this guy. His parents, I, I think they were trying to get, get him into an arranged marriage. They don't approve of him uh, dating a non-Muslim at all. And now all this to tell you that this is based on Kamal Anjani and Emily Gordon's actual life. This is how they actually met. She got sick. She got in, She ended up in a coma. His family, I think, was uh, maybe at first not supportive of it. You know, they're happily married now and the family's a you know, big happy family. Uh, it sounds like such a drama. It is a very funny movie. Um, I highly recommend it. It, it is uh, just a very, very different kind of story. Uh, there are so many aspects to it, but they all come together. They work. Ray Romano plays Emily's father and is really good, like to the point where I was a little upset he was not nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Oscar, he was that good. the the uh, The screenplay was nominated, but that was the only um, Oscar nomination it got. Um, Zoe Kazan plays Emily in this, and uh, Holly Hunter plays her mother. But good cast, good performances, really funny, uh, really interesting story. Um, they did take some liberties with real life. Like um, I, I remember hearing an interview with Emily Gordon where she was like, "My parents want everyone to know that no, he did not cheat on her in real life." Uh, you know, my dad did not actually cheat on my mother. They added that for drama for the movie, but it's, it's a great movie. Highly recommend it. Check it out. Peaches, what are you recommending today? I have had so much time to think about something and I don't have a damn thing to write. Here's the thing. I've had a very uh, normal week for a peach, hmm. uh, but also not at the same time because we had a big celebration on Sunday that some of us attended. And so I was doing that. And otherwise I've just been doing the other things that I've already recommended. I'm still playing Elden Ring. I recommended <laughs> Elden Ring five episodes ago and I am still <laughs> playing Elden Ring. Hey, if, uh, spe- uh, okay, hold on. Let me think of something real quick. Uh, pop. Uh, like the movie Eternals. If you like being burned by things, um, I recommend pizza rolls. Just buy some pizza rolls. <laughs> and heat them up via your method of choice. I prefer the oven over the microwave, but either will do. And as a peach does, um, no matter how many times you've eaten a pizza roll, immediately pop the first one into your mouth and let it scald the top of your mouth and some of your tongue. And it'll be like you watched Eternals, but had more fun. For the record, <laughs> I'm not a pizza rolls person, but I can I can promise you the best way to cook them is an air fryer. Probably, I Absolutely. don't have one. Absolutely. Yeah. I bet it is the best way, but I don't know, you guys. I've, I'm still fucking playing Elden Ring. <laughs> I need to get... I still recommend I had a very, it. I had a very similar weekend to you. I have not played a video game in weeks, and I need to get back into Elden Ring. <laughs> well, and, I'm, and I'm like, you know, I'm closing up at my current job. I start a new job next week, so like nothing exciting is happening there either. But like, And I'm working out. I'm still doing my Pelotoning. I, I recommend a Peloton, but I'm not going to be the sale, Peloton salesman on the podcast. But if you do get a Peloton, add me. Peach Peach 64 on Peloton. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required, an MC retrospective. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can do so. Patreon.com slash Assembly Required. Join our patron-exclusive Discord. Get chatting with us. Uh, our up-to-date thoughts whenever anything comes out. Huge, huge thanks to our Avengers-level patrons, Brian, Riley, Adrian, and Michael. 
If you want to email the show, you can do so. Assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's going to be at assemblycast. Follow some of us individually over at ABCD ABC Eduardo1 for myself, GatorSax2010 for Chris, and PhilKid3 for Robbie. That's going to do it for myself, for Chris, for Robbie, and for Peaches. We love you, 3000. Bye, everybody. Excelsior. Hydra. I'm Icarus. Stop the recording or <laughs> is he waiting for me? Bobbly bobbly.